Hi, welcome to Restoration Church Podcast. This is Pastor Rachel, and we are in a series called People of the And. So often in scripture, we'll find verses that say one thing and apparently uh, the opposite thing as well. And so we're, we're taking these for the next couple months and, and living in the tension, talking about the tension of living in the and instead of the or that scripture so often draws us into. So today I am talking about truth and grace. Now we hear those words said a lot together, but I think it's a little more rare to see people live them out together. But we have this incredible example of Jesus. When he walked on earth, he showed us truth and grace. So the story that we're going to use to frame this discussion today is the woman at the well. It's from John 4. You can follow along with me. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a paraphrase, not much, but kind of a he says, she says sort of conversation that happened at this well. So in John 4, Jesus and his disciples, they come to this Samaritan city called Sychar, and it's near Jacob's well. And Jesus was tired out by the journey, tired and hungry, as were the disciples. So he sends the disciples on into the city to get something to eat. It's about noon, the absolute heat of the day. And a Samaritan woman, whom we're going to name for this time together at least, Samantha. So Samantha comes to draw water in the heat of the day, which is a little bit odd because most women would have drawn their water when it was a little bit cooler, but we're going to find out why she might have been there in the heat of the day. So Jesus says, give me a drink. And Samantha says, how is it that you a Jew ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Now you'll need a little backstory on why Samantha might have said that. There's a long standing rift between the Jews and the Samaritans going way back to when there were 12 tribes and 10 of them intermarried with Assyrians and made their capital Samaria. And then the other two became the Jewish people. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, considered them half-bloods, a bit impure because they had intermarried specifically with Assyrian women. So here was Samantha, that Assyrian woman. And then the, the, they kind of went further with it. There are scholars who have looked back at the the context around this story, and they have seen where Samaritan women were stereotyped as what they called perpetual menstruants, meaning they were always bleeding uh, as a woman type of bleeding. This A made them sterile, but it also made them unclean, unclean in that society because you couldn't sit with people, eat with people, participate in even your faith if you were bleeding. And so this, this idea that these women were always bleeding made them always impure. There was no place they could sit or eat. They were cut off a bit of an untouchable society, society's pariahs as far as the Jewish public opinion stood and could never abstain, obtain a state of cleanness because there was this perpetual bleeding. So that's a little bit of the backstory of why she might have said, how is it that you, 
a Jew ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Well, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she perks up here and she says, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And she says, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, water was very important in that time as it is now, but specifically important to her faith. The purification process prior to prayer or eating common food involved water. And the best water for purification was was a spring water or, or something that had more life in it. Now, this Jacob's well was known to be not that kind of water. It was a stagnant water. And and so it, it was OK, but it wasn't this living water, this moving water that would have given Samantha a place in society. She could have held her head up high. There's something I'm sure that she just kind of rose up in her and said, yes, I want that. I want that kind of life. Well, back to our, he says, she says. So Jesus says, go and call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had Five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And she says, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, this little bit of a tension between the Samaritans and the Jews about even where to worship. Now, going back for just a moment to the husband, five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. I want to typically, I want to talk about this because typically I've heard this spoken of as if she was a woman who was immoral, who was maybe an adulterer or, or had some sort of moral failing. And this may be true. We can only imagine with our minds, but I, I did do a little bit of research to see, is that true? Now, there are, are scholars on, on many sides of this, but there's, there's kind of this thread of thought that Deuteronomy 24.1 said this, that a man could divorce a wife if she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. Now, there are, are certain leaders who would have made that a moral objection that he had to have. But it could it, it was often loosely used for anything that a man found objectionable in a woman. It could have been uh, a birthmark that was objectionable. It could have been being barren. It could have been many things uh, that we don't un understand maybe, but here's a couple things to think about with Samantha. Number one, a woman could rarely divorce a man in those days. It just, 
wasn't a thing. She had no way to do that, no recourse when things weren't good at home. Men could and did often divorce women, but women didn't often divorce men. It took something very heinous for that to even be something that the leaders would have had a conversation about. You know, women were completely subject to men in this culture for their very lives, for anything they ate or drank. They couldn't go out and buy a tent. They couldn't go out and and get a job and earn their own way. Another thing we need to think about is adultery was usually and often punishable by death. And yet here was Samantha, five times divorced and alive. Why? What was that? The other thing we're going to find towards the end of the story is she was a believable witness to her village. When she told them about Jesus, they immediately believed her. I just know that a lot of times, like there are people in our own city, in our own neighborhood that have sort of a tarnished past, have done a lot of things that maybe we've objected to. We might not believe them when they came to tell us that the Messiah was here. We might not run to believe that. So those are some things we need to be thinking about. Might shift the way that we see this story of Samantha. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to blame a potential victim. So anyway, back to Samantha. She has said that I see you're a prophet. And Jesus says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. I am he. At this moment, his disciples come back. They're absolutely stunned to see Jesus talking with a a woman, be a Samaritan woman. And this is when Samantha exits. She even leaves her water jar and she goes back to the city and she says to everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Well, they left the city and they were all ran out there to see the Messiah. Now, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of Samantha's testimony of he told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay and and he stayed and taught them and talked for two days and many more believed because of his word, the scripture says. But here I love the way this ends. They said to Samantha, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. Isn't that beautiful? That when when someone else's story about what God has done for them or has said to them becomes our own story about what God has said or done for us. 
I love this conversation for so many reasons. I love the way that Jesus speaks truth, but he does it in a, in a graceful way. I love the, the sparring of it, like kind of this sense of wise as a serpent, as gentle as a dove that Jesus has. And I just specifically want to talk to the way that it speaks to truth and grace and shows us a way to interact with people. So John 1, 14, 16, and 17, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Grace and truth, grace upon grace and grace and truth again. Now, the kind of truth we're talking about here is this godly sense of truth. In fact, it's the very self-expression of God. You see, truth is that which is in line with the mind and the will And the very being of God, his character. Jesus declares himself the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that Jesus or God is, is truth. Godly truth builds this framework of facts around God and the laws that he has put in place to govern the world that he has created. And within which we can live out the character of Christ. It's this safety net. You see, the truth, the Bible says, sets us free because it gives us this framework that that protects us from each other and from ourselves, from our own lies. It directs us toward the truth of God. But we also see in this story grace and grace is this sense of favor from God. It's not earned. It's not dependent on anything we do, but solely on the fact that God desires to give us his favor. I don't know about you, but maybe there's somebody in your life, a grandparent or a parent or, or maybe a spouse or, or somebody, a friend who you feel their favor. When you walk into a room, you're like, yeah, I belong. This is a safe place for me. That's the kind of favor that grace is for us. You see, godly grace builds a framework of trust and safety within which his strength is made perfect in our weakness We don't get grace because we're perfect. We get it because we're imperfect. It's the kind of trust that moves an outsider to the insider. Grace builds that trust that allows truth and love to be spoken and received. And it begins to transform. You see, this is the kind of trust that Samantha felt with Jesus, who only a few minutes earlier was a complete stranger. Now, he had spoken truth to her, but he had done it in a way that made her trust him, that made her feel safe. Now, I want to talk about it because I think all of us from birth bend either towards truth or towards grace. It's just the way we're wired. It's not a bad or a good thing. But I want us to look at at scriptures in in the Bible that talk to both of those. Because we should learn to balance that. So there are verses, and I've heard these, all of these verses I'm going to uh, 
use here in the next few minutes. I've heard my whole life. I've been in church for a long time. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. That's strong truth right there, isn't it? That the wrath of God is going to be unleashed against those who are suppressing the truth, suppressing the character of God. Second Timothy two one tells us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. And so we hear this seeking approval from God with a, a bit of our works and, and that we have to explain and understand this word of truth. We have to handle the truth well. Bending towards the truth. And Ezekiel 33, 6, I've heard this one so many times. I'm a watchman on the wall, they say. Uh, if the sentinel or watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any of them, they are taken away in their iniquity. But their blood I will require at the sentinel's hand. That we're responsible if, if we see something and see a lie and we don't dispel it with the truth. And so we are called to be a people of truth, a people who seek out who God is, the very being of God, the self-expression of God. We, we lean into that, right? We, we pray about it. We read his scripture. We read books about God. We, we live these things out. We constantly seek truth. Yes. Jesus treated Samantha with truth. He spoke directly to her about life. Her life, salvation, her future. But what if he had just stopped there? What if he had stopped there without bending towards grace as well? So bending towards grace, let's think of a few verses here. Matthew five forty-five. so that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So yes, he unleashes against those who suppress the truth, but it also rains and the sun rises on the evil and on the good that we still live in his favor. Even those who are not righteous Ephesians two, eight through nine, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. So that tells us that we couldn't do something to earn salvation, even though we have this verse in Second Timothy that we do our best to present ourselves as one approved, a worker, unashamed, that we rightly explain the word of truth. We also live in this understanding that we've been saved through faith. There's nothing we could do to earn this gift. And then finally, Romans 5, 8. Now I take it back. Hebrews 4, 16 first. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach boldly to God and say, I need your grace. I need your favor. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I haven't done anything, but I need it. And then Romans 5, 8, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're bending towards grace on these verses. So we, and we have to do that too. We have to recognize that everything that we have is a gift 
And we do that so that we don't hold ourselves up as a standard to others. Like, hey, I've done this much, therefore you should do that much. That's not how this thing works. We are nobody's measuring stick. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus treated Samantha with this grace. He ignored social mores. He spoke to a woman who most Jewish men would have avoided. He had, he even asked for her to get him water. He was going to drink after something she touched. You see, he was building trust. He was extending favor that was unearned. He didn't know her. She didn't know him, but he was showing her grace, unmerited favor. And there was an intimacy building that, and it took that intimacy for her to trust him, to believe that he was who he said he was, to take that story back to the village. God used her to tell his story. But what if Jesus had only stopped at the grace part? Then he wouldn't have told her the truth about salvation, the truth about her own life that was so compelling to her. You see, there's a danger of leaning too hard to one side or too hard on the other side. And if you just take a moment and think of any hot button topic today, I am sure you have heard someone go one way or the other, all the way to the truth or all the way to the grace. What is some language around that topic that's running around in your head? We do it. We live in this. We understand it. The church does it. The people of God do this. We lean too hard to one side or the other. And yet Jesus is full of truth and grace. John 1 14. Let me remind you. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son. Full of grace and truth. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 tells us to speak the truth in love. And that means to build someone up. It goes on in Ephesians to say we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Speaking the truth in love builds people up, builds the church up. That's what Ephesians is telling us. And and someone might say, yeah, but if we don't speak truth, it's going to get sloppy over here. But here's where Paul says, what are we then to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Romans 6, 1 through 2. That is not going to be a problem. Someone who is transformed by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ does no longer want to sin. Now, our flesh is still there, but the spirit within us is done with that. It's sickened by that. That is not something to worry about. And so we see that Jesus extends grace to Samantha. He builds this trust so that she can hear the truth that he has to tell her. So going back to that hot button topic that you might have in your head that we just put language to, what might truth and grace language Around that topic be spend just a few seconds thinking how could you phrase or maybe after you've listened to this sit down with a journal God how can I express truth and grace when I'm talking to someone about that because here's 
what we really want to come to is what what area might God be calling us to bring balance into this truth and grace to live in the tension of both instead of the or. Samantha was recruited by Jesus to be purified by his truth, to be a container for his living water, a source of life. Samantha, who was a nobody, who was less than a nobody. There's all sorts of truth and grace to that whole picture. She was immersed in Jesus' grace for herself and others. Isaiah 12, 3, I I love this. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that's what we see with Samantha. She is joyfully drawing water from the wells of salvation that Jesus has just opened up to her. But we too, like Samantha, are called to be containers that hold the source of life. And we do it in truth and grace. We become a place for others to immerse themselves in the purity of Jesus' truth and grace. So as we end this today, I just want us to pray that God help us to joyfully draw water from the wells of salvation in truth and grace. In your son's name, amen.